Now those handouts for today, one for today, are for your own personal study outside of this class. So that's that's if you want to deepen your own study of Prabhupada's life from the Vilamrita. Some study questions for yourself on your own. This is what we're going to be covering during the five days. Today we're going to look at Srila Prabhupada's unique position as the founder Acharya of ISKCON. Then tomorrow we're going to look at Srila Prabhupada's life, especially Prabhupada's life before coming to the West and when he first started the Krishna consciousness movement. Then the next day, Srila Prabhupada's example, especially Vaishnav qualities, and we have a special surprise on that day. The first 30 people who come to the seminar will get a beautiful book about Prabhupada's qualities. And then we're going to look the next day at Srila Prabhupada in our lives. How are we personally relating to Srila Prabhupada? And then on the final day, how are we assisting Srila Prabhupada in service? So that's why I've organized these five days. And this was going to be the first time that I'm teaching this series, except that I taught the first two just a week ago in Croatia. (laughs) So got to test out the first two there. I wanted to start off by asking, how many of you here ever personally met Srila Prabhupada? Anybody? How many of you, should I speak more slowly? I'll speak more slowly. Okay, I'll slow down. How many of you here, right, first I should start this. One, one second, let me just start this. Is there anyone here who personally met Shula Prabhupada? No, nobody. Okay. So I thought we would start out by asking, now that you have some idea of what we're going to cover, I should also say that I am doing something here. As I said, I've taught the first two just recently in Croatia. But I am doing something here that's a little different than I have done before. And, and the inspiration of Romapad Swami recently at Nuvrindavan, I decided not just to give a speaking seminar. Uh, generally, the seminars and the workshops, the fun shops that I do, are just talking. Either I'm talking, or you're talking, or we're talking. <laughs> so, uh, recently at our festival of inspiration in Nuvrindavan, he gave a presentation using audiovisual with the computer. And his computer equipment was late, so he spent the first 15 minutes telling all of us how when we give presentations, we should use bells and whistles and audiovisual equipment and make things more interesting and stimulating. So there I was sitting in the audience, and I thought, maybe I should do that. (laughs) So every day we're going to be either seeing some sort of a computerized presentation or some videos of Srila Prabhupada or hearing some audios of Srila Prabhupada. What we're going to be seeing today and on a couple other days is called ISKCON Interactive, which I'm hoping that most of you have not seen. And by the way, I wrote about 99% of the text for that presentation. It was something that I spent a lot of time working on. I'm hoping that you'll find that much more interesting than just my blabbing. (laughs) And that it will help you to remember more about Srila Prabhupada. 
So I'd like to start off by asking what all of you hope to gain from this, because whenever we start on any kind of project, adventure, it's always wise to have a goal. That way, at the end, you can evaluate, well, me, (laughs) and whether or not you have achieved your goal. Does that make sense? Sometimes we say, oh, that was good, or that was okay, or that was bad. But before we can evaluate something, we have to have some idea of what we want to get out of it. So I'd like to take just a few minutes, and this is going to be, I should tell you, very participatory. My idea, now of course, you have your choice if you want to just sort of sit there and be one of the chairs in the room. You can do that, but I have structured this so that you don't, you don't have to speak so much to me if you don't want to, and if you think your English is poor and you might say something stupid, I mean, you can be quiet in the group. But I, I have structured this so to provide time and space for everyone to really gain something for themselves. I have made time for people to, to say, write plans about how they're going to include Srila Prabhupada more in their lives and that kind of thing. It's not just going to be me getting up here and and talking. Okay? We learn more and we we gain a lot more out of something when we do participate. I mean, if, if you just listen to somebody talk, you may walk away from it and say, wow, that was really interesting. But, you know, you remember perhaps 10%. You'll remember one or two sentences that I've said or maybe something that you saw on the screen. Whereas if you take some time to write down a plan for how you're going to make Srila Prabhupada more part of your life or how you're going to spread Srila Prabhupada's glories in the world, there's a really good chance that you'll do some of that and that it will make a big difference in your lives. So I have provided, because you will be writing some things during the seminar, if any of you don't have paper or writing utensils, we have provided some blank paper and some pens over there, and they will be available every time that we have the seminar. The only thing that we've been requested, because the pens have been provided by the college, is that at the end of each seminar, you please put them back in the box. They're not gifts. Okay. And one, one other thing, one other bonus that I haven't worked into the plan, but if we have time, I'll tell you some of my stories of meeting Shula Prabhupada. Okay? Would that be fun? Okay. If you're all good. If you all participate, we'll make that a bonus. Okay? Okay. Is that a deal? Is that a deal? Okay. So what would you like to get out of this seminar? Exactly what I hope to happen during this course. (laughs) 
that this is exactly one of my objectives for class number three. So I certainly hope that that is what happens. Somebody else. Oh, this is great. I think you guys must have read my objectives. Okay. To value the gifts that he's given us by taking part in ISKCON. Yes. Gain inspiration. All right. Why am I getting feedback? Gain inspiration. What was that? To what? Gain inspiration to increase service. To increase service. Can my techies do something about the feedback, please? Can my techies do something about the feedback? He's doing something. Okay. Somebody else? Without losing this thing. Oh, I'll write bigger. I'll write bigger. This says, association by talking about qualities, emulate Srila Prabhupada's qualities, increase appreciation for Srila Prabhupada, value gift by taking part in ISKCON, gain inspiration to increase service to Srila Prabhupada. I'll write bigger because there's no place to move it closer. I put it down here because this thing was made for uh, taller people. I had it on the stage and I couldn't reach it, but I'll, I'll write larger. Anything else? Yes. Uh, to understand. How a pure. Vaishnava. Act. Thank you for fixing the feedback. Something else? Excellent. That you will see tomorrow. And what was that? To see how how Prabhupada dealt with difficulties prior to success. And we'll also be talking about that a little bit today. Okay, something else? Yes. Deepen relationship with Srila Prabhupada. Yes. Okay. Deepen relationship and hear from those who have relationship. Anything else? This is very inspiring to me because this, this is what I'm planning on doing. So I, I would like some feedback also at the end. I mean, often even in universities, they have little computerized forms where you fill out, you know, you rate your professor and you rate your course. So I would be very, I'm, I'm very serious about this. I'd be very, very grateful if people could let me know 
and please don't be flattering. Let me know honestly, because all of the courses that I put together are always in a state of flux. I'm always trying to improve things. So if you can let me know what works for you and what doesn't, what meets your expectations and what doesn't, and I will adjust accordingly. Anything else? Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. How develop a relationship? Through his books. And we're going to be, do, we're going to be talking about through many means, not only books. And some, there were some other people over here on this side. Yes? I'm not sure if we can get that far, but we'll, we'll discuss at least. <laughs> who, to understand who Srila Prabhupada really was. Anybody else? Yes, Jen Mastery. Okay. Increase. Can you read this now? Is it, am I writing large enough? Okay. Increase meditation on Srila Prabhupada. Think of more often. Okay. Anything else? Yes. I'm not writing that down. (laughs) Thank you, but I'm not going to write that down. I come here for your association. No, I'm serious. Anything else? Yes. To become more grateful. To become more grateful. For what? Srila Prabhupada has given us. Well, that's a good place to start off with what we're doing today. Because looking at Srila Prabhupada as the founder of Acharya, and I'm going to leave this. Where can I leave this? So if you want to refer, maybe on that table over there. If you want a quick reference as to what we're doing, because I know also, I mean, I just know that there's some of you who might want to attend some of these and some of the drama ones. So if there are some of you in that category, if you want to see which ones we're covering that you might want to attend, you can see. Or also many people like to get an overview of what we're going to cover. If you want to refer to that, it's over there. Okay, to have some idea to get some gratitude is is really a lot of the focus on today. Um, We're going to be, our, our main focus today is the reasons why Prabhupada was an unprecedented success his position and his accomplishments. And I really think that the value we'll gain is a lot of gratitude. I mean, when I meditate on these things and when I think about these things, and I've done exercises similar to this in the Gurukula, I'm overwhelmed. I mean, every time I do this, I become overwhelmed with gratitude, appreciation, and just amazement. How did he do this? 
do what he did. Okay, you ready to see something exciting? Ready? As I say, I hope most of you haven't seen this before. And if you have, it's fun to see again. Take it for granted when you're young. You can just see everything. Arriving in America, Prabhupada began what was to become his worldwide movement. He stayed for a month in Butler, Pennsylvania, and then moved to New York City. There he started ISKCON, the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. ISKCON's members chanted Hare Krishna publicly in Tompkins Square Park and published Back to Godhead magazine. Prabhupada initiated his first Western disciples and performed a Vedic wedding ceremony. The itinerary for these years was as follows. Prabhupada flew to San Francisco to join some of his disciples. He chanted Hare Krishna at the Mantra Rock Dance, which featured many famous musicians. While in San Francisco, he opened his second temple and inspired the first Ratiatra festival. Lord Jagannath rode on a decorated flatbed truck. Because of a sudden serious illness, Prabhupada then returned to India. His disciples had to maintain the new society. The year's itinerary was as follows. Returning from India, Prabhupada opened the first Los Angeles temple. Two of his disciples acquired land in West Virginia which Prabhupada then asked be made into New Vrindavan, a replica of Lord Krishna's home. Prabhupada gave a series of recorded lectures on the Bhagavad Gita titled The Yoga System. The year's itinerary was as follows. Prabhupada installed the first Radhakrishna deities in Los Angeles. He traveled to London where disciples were trying to start a temple. Prabhupada stayed at Beadle John Lennon's estate. After some struggle, a temple was opened at Bury Place where Prabhupada installed Radhakrishna deities. The year's itinerary was as follows. Going on to 1970. The temple in Los Angeles moved to Watsika Avenue, gradually becoming ISKCON's Western World Headquarters. Prabhupada started the Governing Body Commission, the GBC, 
to help manage his quickly growing society of Krishna's devotees. He took some of these Western devotees to India, bringing Vedic culture back to the subcontinent. As ISKCON members chanted and danced through cities such as Surat, the local population greeted them with garlands of respect. The year's itinerary was as follows. 1971. Krishna's devotees from the West who traveled with Prabhupada to India held a huge festival in Bombay under a pandal tent. ISKCON became fully global as Prabhupada brought the philosophy and practice of Krishna consciousness to Moscow and appeared on the Mumbo Leo show on Nairobi television. He bought land in Mayapur, India, Lord Chaitanya's birthplace where he revealed plans for a grand temple. Prabhupada acquired land in Vrindavan, India, Lord Krishna's birthplace, and in Juhu Beach, Bombay. He installed deities in Sindhi, Australia, and in Boston. The year's itinerary was as follows. 1972 Prabhupada established the Bhaktivedanta Book Trust to print his translations and commentaries on the Vedic scriptures. He entered into a publishing contract in Japan and laid the cornerstones for temples in India, Mayapur, Vrindavan, and Bombay. Prabhupada opened a school for training children in Krishna consciousness. In that school in Dallas, Texas, as in Amsterdam, Nairobi, and Auckland, New Zealand, he installed deities of the Supreme Lord. The year's itinerary was as follows. 1973. Traveling the world, Prabhupada rapidly expanded his society for Krishna consciousness. Becoming famous outside of his ISKCON society, Prabhupada often had reporters asking for an interview as he arrived at an airport or preached in a temple. As his disciples were now selling his books in large quantities, many people became interested in bhakti yoga. Among those interested was George Harrison of the Beatles, who donated the Bhaktivedanta Manor outside London for use as a temple. In Paris, Prabhupada installed Radhakrishna deities. The year's itinerary was as follows. 1974 Prabhupada's Hare Krishna movement became internationally known. He preached in 22 cities in nine countries, while his disciples kept increasing the sales of his books, which attracted new members to ISKCON. When he opened the temple in Vrindavan, India, hundreds of his disciples from around the world attended the event. Thus, the festival which he had started in 1972 for Lord Chaitanya's appearance anniversary became firmly established. The celebration continues to draw large numbers of international participants annually. In Melbourne, Australia, Prabhupada rode on the Rathiyatra cart and preached the science of Krishna consciousness. The year's itinerary was as follows. 1975 As Prabhupada traversed the globe visiting 40 cities in 14 countries, his disciples crowded the airports to greet him. 
World leaders such as Indira Gandhi also met with Prabhupada, who spoke of the importance of bringing Krishna consciousness beyond his small group to the whole world. Prabhupada's disciples traveled across America in buses they converted into mobile temples. Prabhupada initiated the rapidly increasing number of new devotees. He rode in the Philadelphia Ratiatra and purchased a magnificent church in Montreal to use as Krishna's temple. Nineteen seventy six. Oh sorry, that's the wrong one. Okay. Prabhupada continued his demanding travel schedule, preaching in thirty cities in eight countries. In Detroit he explained how to make the magnificent former estate of Lawrence Fisher into a cultural center for Krishna consciousness. He wrote prodigiously in Hawaii. When he went to New York City, Prabhupada found three hundred disciples established in an 11-story building in Midtown Manhattan. The center included a restaurant, gift shop, and theater. Hundreds more devotees came to meet Prabhupada on Fifth Avenue for New York's first Rasiatra celebration. In Tehran, Iran, Prabhupada spoke to Muslims about Krishna's personal form. Prabhupada's health was deteriorating rapidly and seriously, yet he preached in nine cities, including attendance at the huge Kumbh Mela festival in India, visiting Bhubaneswar, and even traveling to London. But as the inevitable became obvious, he returned to Krishna's home in Vrindavan, India, to spend his last days, continuing to dictate his books. In November, with his disciples chanting Krishna's name, he left his physical body to join in the Lord's eternal pastimes. Prabhupada traveled the equivalent of 17 times around the globe, visiting 96 cities in 24 countries. He was truly a jet-age Swami. At the end of his life, he established trusts to ensure the continuation of his movement and the revival of India's holy places. I'd like to start off by telling you some stories. These are not some of my personal stories, but some stories about Srila Prabhupada that I think really exemplifies for me some of the ways that Prabhupada shows Or in groups. I got the microphone. And I've given you the book so that you can refer to the books, and that I've given you the list so that you can refer to the list of the 26 qualities. And this research as to how the 26 qualities have been referred to differently throughout the scriptures, I can't take credit for that. That was done by the devotees at Bhaktivedanta Manor. So if you're impressed, don't be impressed with me <laughs> on the handout. I just copied it from your work. And after doing that, 
Then you remember that yesterday we were working on plans to spread Prabhupada's glories. So then we're going to work on a plan as to how we personally can, within the next week, take one of these Vaishnav qualities and increase our own quality of that quality or quantity of that quality. Do you understand what I mean? So either the amount that we have of it or the, the degree that we have. So not too long ago at Juhu in Bombay, they were celebrating the 25th anniversary of founding of the temple. Was anyone here at that celebration? So you were there. So you might be bored by this story, but hopefully you won't mind hearing it again. As Sridhar Maharaj invited me to come to the celebration, and when I was there, I heard one of, some of the most amazing stories from one of the devotees there. Definitely the most amazing how I came to Krishna consciousness story and some of the most touching stories about Srila Prabhupada. So this one devotee said that he was raised as a street boy, didn't know his mother and father, and grew up living on the streets in Bombay by stealing. Just one of these little ragtag boys you see on the street. Spent a lot of time in and out of jail for stealing. And one time when he was in jail, he got a back to Godhead. Where you can take a book and a handout right there. Prabhu, there's a book and a handout right there you can take. So one time when he was in prison, he's got a Back to Godhead magazine. And on the Back to Godhead, there was a picture of Srila Prabhupada. And the picture of Srila Prabhupada, he saw that Prabhupada was wearing a very nice watch. So he decided that when he got out of prison, he was going to find this man and steal his watch. So... And I'm not telling the story nearly as well as he told his own story. I mean, we were practically rolling on the floor laughing. Anyway, so he got out of jail, and he found the address of the newly established temple, which was barely a temple in Juhu. And he went there. Prabhupada was not there at the time. And he said that for all the other devotees, it was very austere. You know, they were living in this hut with rats and hardly enough to eat. And, but for him, it was like a palace because he had always been living in the street. So he started doing regular service, and they told him, you know, you'll get to meet Prabhupada. So he was just hoping he'd meet Prabhupada. In the meantime, he's doing regular service and eating prasadam. And after a few days or a week or something, Vishaka gave him some japa beads, and he started chanting regularly. And pretty soon he's chanting 16 rounds. You know, he's doing regular service and going on like that. And, of course, he's becoming a little purified. So after some time, Srila Prabhupada comes somewhere nearby, and he hears that Prabhupada's there, and he goes to the devotee in charge and he says, I want to go see Srila Prabhupada. And the devotee in charge says, but we need you here. He's doing a lot of service. He says, but I really want to go see Srila Prabhupada. So the devotee says, well, all right, I'll give you a train ticket, but you have to come right back. You can stay just like one night, I think it was. So, all right, he agrees. He gives his word. He says, I, I promise you I'll come back immediately. So the temple president gives him, it was not much of a temple, but the temple president gives him a train ticket. So he goes to where Srila Prabhupada was. And everything was very small at that time in India. And he got to go in Srila Prabhupada's room. He offers obeisances to Prabhupada. And Prabhupada says, so, why have you come? And he said, Srila Prabhupada, actually, I came to steal your watch. <laughs> and so Prabhupada goes and he 
course, you know, generally in this world, you know, someone comes to me and says, you know, I want you to take your watch. Are you taking my watch? It's my watch. Are you taking your watch? No problem, said yes. And then this, the voice says, no, it's all right. I don't, I don't want it anymore. Prophet said, so you'll stay here? And he said, no, I told the temple president back at Juhu that I would come back. Prophet said, then you have to go back. So he went back to Juhu, and he said he had such a habit of stealing. He said first that when he would go out, he had the service of shopping for the deities. He said first sometimes if he would steal some of the deities' money. And then one of the other devotees told him, you know, if you're stealing the deities' money, it's like you're taking Prabhupada's blood. So he stopped. He said, though, for years, if he didn't have enough money to buy things for the deities, he'd steal from the people on the streets to get enough money. He said it took him years to give up that habit. I'm doing that like two or three years before he stopped doing that. You know, he was his whole life. He'd been a thief. He said that, uh, that one time when he was out shopping for the deities, actually he said many times that if, after he'd buy things for the deities, if there was some money left over, he would buy like some chocolate bar. And one time he had bought a chocolate bar. And he stuck it in his bead bag and he came back to the temple when Prabhupada was visiting the temple and he went by Prabhupada's room and he offered obeisances outside Prabhupada's door and the chocolate bar fell out of the bead bag. Prabhupada says, what? He motioned him into his room. He says, what is this? He takes it and Prabhupada opens it up. He takes a little taste. He says, what is this? And he looks at the ingredients. He said, Prabhupada said to him, we do not take this. This is intoxicants in it. He says, why are you eating this? He says, I like sweet, Srila Prabhupada. I said, oh. And that night, Prabhupada personally cooked him a pot of halva, a great big pot of halva, and had it sent to his room for him so he could have sweets. So after he'd been in the temple, I think he said it was two years. And uh, he, didn't, he didn't know very good English at all. And he didn't even know Hindi. He only knew Marathi. I mean, he wasn't educated. He'd received no formal education. He was a street boy. So he said, Prabhupada came to the temple to do an initiation. But he was in the kitchen washing the pots, and he said his clothes were all black. You know, when you're washing, the bottom of the pots are black, and his clothes were covered with black. And he said to the head of the kitchen, I want to go see what Prabhupada's doing in the temple room. And the head of the kitchen says, no, 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 we need you here. He says, but I want to go see Prabhupada. I want to see what Prabhupada's doing. No, no, we need you here. But I want to see what Prabhupada's doing. I'll just be ten minutes, and I'll come right back. All right, you can go for ten minutes to see Prabhupada, and then you have to come back. So he goes in the temple room, Prabhupada's starting the jug, yeah, so many people, and Prabhupada sees him, he says, come sit down. <laughs> so then, then Prabhupada calls him up, and he says, so do you chant 16 rounds? Yes, Srila Prabhupada. Says, you follow the four principles? What are the four principles? Says, I don't know, Srila Prabhupada. Says, yes, you know. What are they? No eating meat, fish, or eggs. And he tells him, he says, yes, she'll probably knows. And then he repeats them. He said, so where is your beads? So they're in my room. And Prabhupada handed him his own beads. And then Prabhupada asked him, so what is your name? He said, I don't know, Shul Prabhupada. He didn't know his parents. He said he'd use so many different names. He said every time he was arrested, he'd just make up a new name for the police. He didn't know what his name was. He said, I don't know what my name is, Srila Prabhupada. He said, but the devotees here have called me Haridas. Prabhupada said, all right, then your name is Haridas. So I was, I was really enjoying that story, and he's still a very nice devotee.
One other story that I really like is the one that uh, Shruti Kirti Prabhu told us about when he was on a plane with Srila Prabhupada and they had brought some puffed rice. You know what puffed rice is, right? To eat on the plane. And they had, they had sat down in the airplane. Most of you have been on planes? Most of you have been on planes? Okay. You understand how strange this story is. So they sit down on the plane and they, you know, pull down the little tables and they're taking out the puffed rice to eat. And the stewardess walks by in the aisle and she sees this puffed rice and she reaches over and she just grabs some right out of where Prabhupada was eating. And she just eats it and she says, oh, this is very good. <laughs> and Prabhupada was just smiling and he was very happy. What I'd like all of you to do now, either you can either do it in individually or in groups, is if, and if you don't have paper or writing material, there's blank paper there and there's pens over there, is I'd like you to, you don't, obviously you're not going to do this for all 26 qualities. You could pick one or two or three. I'd like you to think of some story you know about Srila Prabhupada something you know about him that exemplifies some of these qualities of a devotee. And if you can't think of anything, then you can refer to this little booklet that I've given you. Uh, you're welcome to keep these booklets, of course. Uh, and if you, if you want to get in groups to get some ideas from each other, you can also do that. And why don't we take about 15 minutes to do that? Okay, so you can either work on your own or you can work in groups. To please think of some... Either some of Prabhupada's activities in general, some specific stories, something about Srila Prabhupada that exemplifies. Do it for at least one quality. If you can do it for two or three or four or five, then that would be very nice. Okay, so I'm wondering if any of you have any that you'd like to share with the group. Yes. This is on? Oh, okay. There's a story about when Srila Prabhupada was in Amsterdam, which illustrates the qualities of humility. Uh, Aniha, is, that is, I think. Aniha. Okay. Uh, and also the quality uh, Maitra, friendly. And also the quality Manada, offers respect to everyone. The story goes as follows. Um, it was a program in the Amsterdam temple. I don't exactly remember at what occasion this was, maybe it was the installation of Lord Jagannath, or maybe it was an initiation. In any case, the devotees hadn't probably organized the program. And then Prabhupada rightfully became upset because he had to instruct them to tell them what to do in this case. Okay. Prabhupada became angry and then a new bhakta uh, oh. <laughs> was there in the room. And this particular devotee had been told uh, many times in, in, in the time that he had been in the temple that whenever you <clears throat> feel that you get angry, just chant Hare Krishna. So take your beat back out and chant the holy name. <laughs> so then this new bhakti, 
he saw that Prabhupada got angry. <laughs> and then he, he, he told Prabhupada right out, just chant Hare Krishna. <laughs> and then Prabhupada was so humble that he took out his beat bag and started chanting. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's a wonderful, wonderful story. Thank you very much. Jenny, anybody else would like to share something? Yes. This this story was told by one Matari, a disciple of Srila Prabhupada. And which quality? In the Los Angeles term. It's uh, equal to everyone. She was saying, uh, when Srila Prabhupada was living in Vrindavan, before he came to the West, this is from the... So some of his disciples, they spoke to some Vajvasi Vaisnavas. And there was one devotee who wanted to see Srila Prabhupada. Prabhupada was staying in the Damodar temple. The Mother Temple. So he visited him. It was a very simple room. Uh, all kinds of incest could, could, could come inside. And Srila Prabhupada was uh, sitting and chanting Japa, very concentrated. He was in a transcendental state consciousness. And then suddenly he saw in the room uh, a scorpion. He was approaching and he became nervous, shall I disturb Prabhupada? It's not, it's not right to disturb a Vaishnava when, when he's chanting. So he became restless and then slowly Prabhupada opened, he opened his eyes and he, said, he asked, what is wrong? And as before he pointed to the scorpion, Prabhupada looked and he said, oh, leave him, he's also a devotee. <laughs> Anyone else have something they'd like to share? Yes. Uh, first, uh, the story came, and then I, I tried to find uh, the quality. Yeah, I'm not so sure it's, it, it completely matches, but Kripalu, um, unable to tolerate the suffering of others. Um, uh, th- there is this book, uh, My Glorious Master by Puritan Prabhu, where, where he tells that uh, he and his uh, wife or the yes, put the microphone maybe closer. Is it on? <coughs> okay. Too, too loud or? Too soft. Oh. Make it uh, closer. They were preaching in, in Japan in the 70s and they were really struggling and all this, and like they got, no, no one came almost. And all this time they were thinking, is, um, is Prabhupada thinking of us? Is anyone uh, remembering us? And, and then he tells, uh, the story that after that, once, I th- maybe it's Shruta Kirti Prabhu, he was uh, sitting with Prabhupada, and Prabhupada was sitting in meditation, and suddenly he started crying. And uh, then he asked him, Prabhupada, why are you crying? And he said that he's thinking of his two disciples struggling in Japan. So I, I was reading it, it was very touching. Okay, so what, what quality do you think that we could put then? Does anyone have some inspiration unable to tolerate the suffering of others oh, maybe, okay. maybe it's not the same kind of suffering but still unable to tolerate the suffering of others that sounds good thank you someone else yes uh, it's a s- similar one but I um, put it under Karuna uh, 
compassionate, merciful, sympathetic, act, acting always due to compassion, not personal ambition. But uh, this is a story told by Moksha Lakshmi Radhaji. Yes, okay. And on Can you put the microphone a little closer also? Yeah. Um, on one occasion, apparently they, there was some program in Marble Arch, one end of um, Oxford Street in London, and the temple's the other end of Oxford Street, Barry Place. And so they had to take a car from Marble Arch to Berry Place. And some or other, um, Mother Moksha Lakshmi was sitting in the back uh, of the car with, I think, anyway, she was in the car with Prabhupada. And she saw, as they were just going slowly down Oxford Street, she saw Srila Prabhupada tears begin to, to, to uh, fall down Prabhupada's cheeks. And she said, oh no. Uh, we've upset Prabhupada somehow and she was all worried and then she said Prabhupada, what's the matter? and he just gestured to all the people um, on the street, on Oxford Street where they're supposed to be enjoying themselves shopping and whatever they're doing and um, he was just so compassionate towards them that uh, he, he, uh, he could see that they were suffering so much so that's Karuna I think Thank you. Somebody else? Yes. I just heard this um, this morning, this story. It was uh, Prabhupada was with about uh, saying, being seen. And Sri Prabhupada was on a morning walk with his disciples. And um, <coughs> it was in the beginning of Krishna Consciousness Movement and then um, there was a very nice house and then Sri Prabhupada said one day we will have a house like this for Krishna and all his disciples yes Srila Prabhupada and then they went on and then there was a car passing by and then Srila Prabhupada said one day we will have a nice car for Krishna and the disciples yes Srila Prabhupada and then they went on, and <coughs> and then there was there was a dog, a dog going by, and then Sri Prabhupada said, "One day we will have a nice dog for Krishna." And the disciples, "Yes, Sri Prabhupada." <laughs> and then Sri Prabhupada, "What are you saying? <laughs> what do Krishna? What do we need a dog for Krishna?" So he wanted to show us that we don't follow blindly. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, I want us to do now a, a thing where we plan to ourselves follow Vaishnava qualities, and I would like to to demonstrate this. So I thought that I could be the victim. And I'll ask for another victim, volunteer, to um, guide me. One of you who was very good and brought the handout from yesterday. Did anybody do that? I, I asked people to do that, but probably no one did. If you didn't, then you can use mine because, of course, I brought mine. I need some volunteer. 
Can I volunteer, please? I, I'm going to be the victim. Don't worry. You, won't, you will not have to be the victim. I'm going to be the victim. But I need a volunteer who's going to work with me. Come on. Do I have to pick somebody? Okay. Do you have the handout from yesterday? Yes. All right. Um, you need a chair. Oh, all right. The, the floor here is funny, though, and it's slippery. You can, you can, like, easily slip off of it. It's not done very well. So I was trying to think of which, since I need to develop all of these qualities desperately, I was trying to think of which one. So why don't we take shanta, which means peaceful, satisfied, and controlling the mind. So why don't I decide that I want to become... Peaceful. Now, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to intentionally do this wrong and then try to get me to fix it. So I'm, I'm, I'm coming to you. You know, you're like you're the temple president or something or you're my friend. And I'm, I'm telling you that I have a problem with developing this Vaishnava quality. And see if you can ask me and I'll help you. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of switch roles a little bit and help you. And see if you can ask me kind of the right questions to get me to do this in the well-formed plan. Right? I, I want to stop getting so disturbed all the time. Every time there's some problem, my mind just gets totally disturbed. I just, I want to be able to control my mind. So, what is a positive thing that you could do to... Rather than think, worrying about what you're not doing, that you're not controlling your mind, state it positively. Oh, I guess I could be, um, I guess when there's problems, I could just be, uh, I don't know, just happy, I guess, right? Well, that's a start, but maybe um, it could be a bit more specific. Well, I mean, if other people would just leave me alone and be nice to me, then I could be peaceful. Yeah, I mean, if the head of the kitchen would just simply, you know, wash the pots on time, and if, if you know, if, if the temple commander would just get things done on time, then I could be peaceful. That's the problem. I mean, I mean, but is, are there actions in your control, under your control? Um, so maybe something that's within your own control you can try to do. Well, I what don't know. What could you do? What, what could I do? What could I do? I'm not sure. What could I do? What could I do? What could I do? I don't know. What could I do? I don't know. Is there something I could do? So, what's the problem? The, the problem is that, well, I, I want to be able to just, you know, when there's, when there's things in, that, that bother me, you know, like there aren't any... I go to, I'm supposed to cook the noon offering and all the pots are dirty... And, and nobody bought any boga. I mean, here I'm supposed to cook the raj boga, and there's nothing to cook with. There's no vegetables, and there's no clean pots, and I have to get the offering done on time. And I go there, and I'm just completely disturbed. So I want to be able to be just peaceful. So is there a plan you could come up with to get some help? To well, well, I don't know. So next thing is specificity. So you could ask me, you know, are there specific, what could you do, what could you think, what could you feel that, that would be peaceful? Like we could ask, if, if you were peaceful, 
if you were a peaceful person. You can ask a person to imagine the perfect state. Like, let's say that you were peaceful. What would you be thinking, feeling, and doing in that state? So, you know, I go and I, yeah, I want to be peaceful. Yeah, I, I, I want to be, but I don't know what to do. Okay, so if you, if you were peaceful, how would, you, how would you feel? How would it be? Well, I guess I'd feel, I'd feel, uh, I'd feel, uh, how would I feel? I'd feel kind of that Krishna was taking care of me. Go to, go to the whole wheel. The other ones, feelings, thoughts, and... Oh, right, I see. Okay. Um, so... Well, we talked about feelings. Um, yeah. Uh, so what, what thoughts would be going through your mind? What would I be thinking? I'd be thinking... Uh, um, well, I guess I'd be thinking, well, these things just happen sometimes. And... Uh, maybe sometimes I leave a mess for people. And... You know, sometimes in the world we have to be tolerant. That's very good. So, um, and what will you do then? Uh, well, I, I could start chanting Hare Krishna. <laughs> you know, I have some, some songs I really like about Krishna. I could start singing them kind of loudly maybe to block out the bad thoughts in my mind. At least if there's no brahmacharis in the kitchen that I'd be disturbing. Or at least I could just sort of chant quietly at least if there's any brahmacharis around. And I could just make sure I get in the kitchen early enough because I know that the people who cook the breakfast sometimes do this. So I could at least get in the kitchen early to make sure I wash the pots. And maybe I could think of some recipes that just use potatoes. And just, you know, and just say, hey, Krishna, maybe you just want to eat potatoes today. And then maybe that's, he's just happy eating potatoes. Well, how could you um, keep the standard of your offering but still not be disturbed to be um, peaceful. Well, I, I don't know if I could do that in all circumstances, but I think I could, you know, I, I think sometimes I would just have to be, be able to say, well, this is all I can do in the circumstances. I mean, I just, I can't change the circumstances. And I would have to think, well, I just have to be, be peaceful with the circumstances that are provided. Well, that's a good start, but maybe you can think of a, a plan where you can do the best possible offering, and maybe getting some help or mm. planning ahead. Mm, and that's an idea. Yeah. I get some other resources. Yeah. You could also ask me whether or not this plan would work other than in the kitchen. Like, like you know, because is this, is this plan for being peaceful only going to work when I'm in the kitchen? Is it going to work in other circumstances and that kind of thing? And then finally, you want to ask, what's, is this going to have any repercussions? Why don't you assume it's going to have repercussions and ask, what, what, what's the cost going to be for me for this? Okay, so um, are you just trying to be peaceful just when you're cooking for Krishna? Or do you like to be peaceful all the time or other times? I, I, I think I could do this pretty much all the time. I mean, there might be some times when I really have to to try to get better facility and just doing with what I have might not work. 
I mean, it might be sometimes when just making do with what's available might not be the best plan. But I think most of the time that would be a good idea. Would this be a lot of extra endeavor? Can you fit this into your life without too much disturbance? Because, um, you know, you have an, another life, you have a family to look after as well. So, how are you going to balance all that? You might even ask this in a general way, what would be the cost? Well, one cost of doing this is that if I just use what's available, then the, the town president might yell at me if I just make potato subject all the time. Um, another cost is that, you know, I might, I, I have to be careful that I don't feel resentful. You know, if I have to go in early and wash the pots myself, I have to make sure that I do that happily. You know, that, I, I, that I'm actually able to say that it's okay, it's Christmas arrangement, that I that I don't feel upset that I've got to now spend an extra hour in the kitchen, that I've got to plan an extra hour in the kitchen. And if I have to do that on a regular basis, then I might have to go to the temple commander and say, you know, Prabhu, I don't know if I can do this anymore. If it, if it, if it starts being a regular thing, then I might have to change my service. I'm really not sure. But I think as a, as a, as a general rule, I probably could do that. Do you get some idea of how this works? Thank you very much. Do you get some idea of how this works? Okay, we have ten minutes. Obviously, Shula Prabhupada was empowered to do something that nobody else had ever done. I mean, there's, there's no one else who's done something like that. And I'd like us to think in two terms. What were the obstacles that Shula Prabhupada had to overcome? And what was really unique about his accomplishments? Now, before we do this, I'd like to have a little kind of caveat that sometimes when we glorify Srila Prabhupada, we get in this mood if Prabhupada was the best means that other people are less. So I, I don't want to imply that, you know, Bhakti Thakur or Bhakti Siddhanta or Narada Muni are, are lesser Vaishnavas. <laughs> that, that's not the point. I mean, the, the fact that Srila Prabhupada was empowered in a unique way and did something that we don't even have any history of in the scriptures does not denigrate anybody else. That, that's not the point. But it is a fact that Srila Prabhupada is empowered in a very unique way. I mean, there, we, there simply is no other history of anybody doing anything like what he did. I mean, there, there just isn't. So, again, that doesn't mean that, you know, he's better than Nardamuni. <laughs> it's not like that. I mean, in, in spiritual life, we read in the third canto about the Vaikuntha planets, and it's very clearly explained that everyone there is a devotee. You know, the trees, the flowers, the, they're all devotees. And in one sense, they're all one. They're all equal in Krishna's eyes. Like Prabhupada says that Krishna is embracing the cow and he's embracing Radharani. So in one sense, it's all one. I mean, we can say the gopis are more intimate than the cowherd boys. But if we start thinking that the cowherd boys are lower, then that's an offense. Is that clear? I mean, sometimes we get into this kind of mentality, you know. Even sometimes within ISKCON, this, you know, my guru is better than your guru. In this sort of thing. So, I, I, it shouldn't be like that. And if we glorify Srila Prabhupada with the mood of denigrating other Vaishnavas, then Krishna will not be pleased. So we should, Krishna is very pleased when we glorify Vaishnavas, but that should increase our glorification of Vaishnavas in general. In fact, sometimes, uh, many times, 
Prabhupada, when explaining the first offense, blaspheming devotees who've dedicated their life for propagating the holy name of the Lord, he would explain that in terms of don't denigrate Jesus Christ and Muhammad. <laughs> that although their preaching was on a lower level of God consciousness, still we shouldn't criticize. So just I want to add that little. I really liked uh, this in the first morning's class where he was talking about that many times religious systems want to push their brand of religion by putting down everyone else. So that's that's not necessary. What we have is so wonderful. We don't we don't need to denigrate anybody. Okay, having said that. I mean Oxford and Harvard and the Sorbonne, they don't have to criticize Po Dunk you, you know? They're wonderful institutions and if someone else is offering something else somewhere else that's you understand? And there's sometimes there's wonderful professors even in other institutions. So I'd like us to look first at what kind of obstacles does Srila Prabhupada have to overcome. Yes. Poor health and age. Poor health and age. Yes. No money. I mean, none. <laughs> Absolutely none. Right? Yes. Foreign culture to the West. That's a lot bigger obstacle than we might imagine. And many people thought that was completely impossible. Yes. Unsupport. <laughs> no support from his background organization. And Prabhupada, you know, he kept writing letters. And I mean, one of his god nephews makes a big deal over the fact that he said, and I think in Redunga and some cartels, you know, I was Prabhupada's follower, I sent some musical instruments. But he really got no support. I mean, he had one god brother before he left India who said, I think it's a good idea. But that was all. I mean, he had no institutional support at all. And even they criticized him. And after Srila Prabhupada was successful, they criticized him even more. The more he was successful, the more they criticized him. They sent him no money. They sent him no manpower. And when he was successful, they criticized him. And they wouldn't work with him. Okay, other obstacles. I mean, most people with that would have given up. Just with that would have given up. Yes. Unsteady followers. You're talking about me, right? Okay, yes. No facility. I mean, really, he had no place to stay. To stay just in a YMCA or at some non-devotee's house or in an impersonless yoga ashram, in a bowery loft. No money, no place to stay, no support from your parent organization. 
he didn't really even have any support here in America. I mean, one Indian gentleman's son who was basically westernized. What? Right, to get to get legal. Yes. From a high, from a high moral background, do <laughs> a low moral society. Excuse me. A, a philosophy that was unknown in the West. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Manuscript stolen. That that will well, that's gonna be covered in the tomorrow's house. That that to me was un, I mean, I would have given up for that. I'm I'm a writer, you know, and the thought of some I, I would have just said, Krishna, forget it. That <laughs> I'm quitting now. I don't I don't know how he went on after that. Right. Never been to foreign countries. Right. He had no experience dealing with a foreign country. Yes. I always like it when somebody brings up something that I never thought of. That's like, then I know I've got a great group. You know? Overcome references in literature that sannyasi shouldn't travel overseas. Other seeming contradictions. Like he had to stay in that house where they were keeping meat. I mean, he had to do things which were not exactly regular things for a sannyasi. Yes. What? He had to do everything himself in the beginning, right? Actually, for a long time in India, also had to do everything himself. Yeah. Oh. No living guru to guide him. Yeah. And 
think about it for a minute. Now, what instructions did his spiritual master give him? Whatever money you get, print books. And what else? Not in the West. Preach in English to English-speaking people. Now, he gave him that instruction twice. It could be more, but we know about twice. For one, when Prabhupada first met his spiritual master, when Prabhupada was about, I think, 22. And then another time, about two weeks before Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasvati left the planet. Srila Prabhupada wrote a letter to his spiritual master. He said, your renounced disciples are doing intimate service for you. I'm a householder. You know, what service can I do? And Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasvati wrote back and he said, Again, you should preach in English to English-speaking people. This will do good for you as well as the people who hear you. Sometimes, I mean, just recently, in fact, I ran into this. You have devotees who say, you know, unless Prabhupada, Arshila Prabhupada, unless Prabhupada gave an instruction very specifically, (laughs) you know, you can't do it. But did Prabhupada get, I mean, Prabhupada considered that in order to become a Diksha Guru, by the way. I mean, when Prabhupada talks about, he said that was my spiritual master's order to go out and make disciples. And it, wasn't, it was a very general order, wasn't it? And, did, and Prabhupada kind of did different things with how to do that. I mean, first he was writing an English magazine and was distributing in India. And then he just, he was, someone said to him, well, people throw magazines away. Why don't you write books? And he said, oh, that's a good idea. I write books. And he was remembering all my spiritual masters said, if you ever get money, print books. And he was preaching to English-speaking people in India. And he tried to start a society in India. And it, at least externally, failed. <laughs> it didn't work out very well. And, of course, he was thinking all along that he might want to come to the West. But that made him even more determined. I mean, by the way, we can think of this in terms of our own life. Many times... When things fail, it's because Krishna is trying to push us into some other situation. We'll talk about this a little bit more tomorrow. But then Prabhupada was thinking, you know, well, everyone's imitating America. Let me go to America. And my other god brothers failed in London. But Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasvati did not say to Srila Prabhupada specifically, you know, go to New York. And no, he didn't have Bhaktisanatha Sarasvati right there saying to him, do this, do this, do this. And did he have a lot of help from his godbrothers? No. I mean, in fact, there was so much fighting in the Gaudiamat that he was getting contradictory advice from his godbrothers. I mean, he had his, his Keshava was, Keshava Maharaj was a, a help to him. He encouraged him to take sannyas after he got that dream from Bhaktisanatha but uh, no, certainly. And for most other people, these things would be pretty insurmountable obstacles. Another thing that I've thought about that, that Prabhupada himself mentions is language. I mean, it took me personally about a week before I could understand Prabhupada's lectures on tape. And I would imagine that for many of you for whom English is a second language, it must be very difficult. I mean, the combination of Prabhupada's accent and the second language. But, you know, uh, it took Prabhupada some time, of course, and Prabhupada was taught British English 
you know, in the early part of, of, the, uh, of the last, now, it's now the last century, which was not the kind of English that the American he was speaking to were speaking. And Prabhupada was speaking a different English. Uh, sometimes the editors would have difficulty with this with the books, by the way. There are some words that Srila Prabhupada uses in his purports and his lectures which are not the way we use English in America. Uh, the editors run into this. Uh, Prabhupada uses the word impatient, for example, in a different way. He uses the word flavor in a different way. I mean, he uses old British meanings rather than meanings that were current in America in the 1970s. What to speak of meanings that are current now in America. I mean, there will come a time when Prabhupada's books will have to be translated into English if English is still around. Much like Shakespeare's books, you need to have little, you know, notes to read the English. And it's already, some of the English is already difficult, even for English speakers. So his accent was difficult, and even his English was difficult for, for Americans. All right, so those were definitely obstacles. I'm sure we could think of more. And each, each one of these was significant. I mean, I'm sure that for many of us, just one of these obstacles would have been enough for us to say, forget it. What to speak of two or three of them, yes. Okay, well, that's a good question, and I think before we go on, why don't we stop? I don't have that on my, on my list, but I'll, I'll take this as a, what we call in education, if any of you are educators, a teachable moment. Because this is something that comes up, as I say, it's, it's, off the, it's off the track, but I think it's important enough. When we come to obstacles, this, this is a question that, that comes up all the time. People ask all the time, how do we know when we run into some obstacle, is it a test of our sincerity? Or is it Krishna telling you you're going down the wrong road? Now, some of these things, like, for example, the project in Jansi, Prabhupada understood, not that he should give up his preaching mission in general, but that he should do it another way. So, he did understand that it was a, a block, that Krishna was redirecting him. Another example is, was the failure of his business. So there are times when there's an obstacle, and it is a sign from Krishna that you're supposed to change direction. Now, sometimes if you're supposed to change direction within the overall mission that you're doing. Sometimes you're supposed to change your focus completely. So sometimes it is that kind of uh, message, and if you don't listen, the obstacle is going to get thicker and tighter until you move. <laughs> you know, you're going to get kicked harder and harder and harder and harder until you change places because you're not supposed to be where you are. So there are times like that. And where, uh, in fact, there's a story like that in the Bhagavatam with Maharaj Prithu, that Maharaj Prithu wanted to perform a hundred horse sacrifices. And he had done 99, and he got to the 100th. When he got to the 100th, what happened? Indra stole the horse. And Indra kept stealing the horse, but he was dressed up as a renunciate. But it was, it was an odd 
kind of like if we saw someone coming in and they were sort of dressed like a devotee, but not quite. You know, we weren't sure. Yeah, devotee or what? You know? So we came, it was like that. And one of the great rishis said to Prithu Maharaj's son, that's Indra, kill him. So Maharaj Prithu's son went to kill him and he saw, oh, I can't kill him. He, he looks something like a sannyasi. He just offered his obeisances. <laughs> but when Indra saw that Prithu Maharaj's son coming with weapons, he got scared and he left the horse and ran away. And this happened several times. And every time Indra took a new false sannyasi dress. And finally, you know, the rishis told, told Maharaj Prithu's son, yeah, every time you're doing this, Indra is starting another false religious system. You know, you can't have this keep going on. So then they decided they were just going to kill Indra outright. But the, the priest performing the sacrifice said, well, the only way that we can kill any, anybody or anything, we can only kill sacrificial animals. So we're going to have to say a mantra to consider Indra a sacrificial animal and call him into the fire as if he were a sacrificial animal. So they start doing that. And then Lord Brahma shows up and he says, you can't do that. He says, this is a sacrifice for Lord Vishnu that's also meant to please all the demigods. And Indra's the chief demigod. All the demigods are almost considered part of his body. And how can you be satisfying Lord Vishnu and all the demigods if you're going to kill the chief one? Because it doesn't make any sense. And then he says, anyone who tries to counteract some obvious obstacle like this enters into the darkest region of materialistic thought. So then, okay, when is there an obstacle where you say, oh, okay, you know, time to just surrender. Lord Brahma said, be happy with your 99 horse sacrifices and leave it at that. Just don't do your 100th horse sacrifices. And then Lord Vishnu came. You know, they already had all the paraphernalia, so they went on without sacrificing the horse. And Lord Vishnu came, and he brought Indra, and Indra was sorry, and everybody lived happily ever after. But, so when do you know that you're going, if, you, if you fight it, you're going to enter into the darkest region of materialistic thought? And when do you know that it's a test? So I've come up with, with an answer. And that is, first of all, can you stop it? Do you have the ability to overcome the obstacle or not? Is it even within your power? Could Prahlad oppose Hiranyakashipu, who was running the whole universe? I mean, could Prabhupada fight against the government, the, I think it was a governor in Jansi? I mean, could you do it? Could he do it? Sometimes they're just, you know, one good devotee friend of mine was diagnosed with cancer. So, you know, she had surgery, she had chemotherapy, she had radiation. Then she tried all the natural cures, everything. At a certain, then there's nothing left to try after a certain point. Oh, now you're getting better. Now it's back again. Now you're getting better. Now it's back again. Now you're getting better. Now it's, at a certain point, there's, there's, there's nothing else to do. So the first question is, is it even possible for you to overcome the obstacle? Can you do it? So that we have, we have a flow chart. Yes, no. <laughs> so if the answer is no, 
then it must be Krishna saying, go another way. Okay. Let's say the answer is yes. I can overcome the obstacle. Then the question is, is your means of overcoming the obstacle legal? (laughs) Is your means of overcoming the obstacle moral? Is it ethical? In order to overcome the obstacle, do I have to kill somebody? Do I have to rob somebody? Do I have to lie? Do I have to cheat? Do I have to steal? I mean, what do I have to do to overcome this obstacle? Do I have to destroy my family? I mean, what do I have to do? What will be the, what will be the price? Is it spiritually correct? Let's say I've lost all my money. And, okay, I can earn money. I have some legal, moral, ethical means of doing so. But the only thing that's offered to me is some job that will ruin my sadhana totally. You understand? Sometimes the spiritual price is too high. So, you know, what, what's the price? So it, then if I, ha- if I can do it, and if my means of doing it is legal, moral, ethical, if I'm not going to damage a whole bunch of people <laughs> or things or projects, if it's not going to damage my spiritual life, Let's say if my means of overcoming the obstacle will make me more Krishna conscious, well, then definitely it's just a test. If my way of overcoming the obstacle is to chant better rounds, if my way of overcoming the obstacle is to become more humble and more tolerant, if my way of overcoming the obstacle is to become nicer to people, (laughs) you know, then it's a test. If those are my means, but if my way of overcoming the obstacle is to be nasty to people, if my way of overcoming the obstacle is to stop sleeping and ruining my health, if my way of overcoming the obstacle is to desert my family, if my way of overcoming the obstacle is lying and cheating and stealing, then it's Krishna saying, no, don't do this. Does that make sense? Anybody have any further thoughts on that? Yes. You know, it's it's okay if if I I I I sometimes feel very blessed that I'm a native English speaker, and and I I'm so moved that so many of you who who have English as your second language come to these programs where the medium is in English. And you're, you're doing your best to listen in English and participate in English. And I offer my obeisances to you. Don't, don't worry about it.
Yes, that's very important. Then why do I want to do this? Am I wanting to do it for myself or am I wanting to do it to please Krishna? Yes. Yes, thank you. That is very important. Of course, the problem is that while we're in the process of becoming devotees, (laughs) that we are going to be mixed in our motives. That is the problem. And when we look in our heart honestly, we are going to see, if we're honest, when we are very beginning devotees, we always think that all of our motives are pure. <laughs> and the more we advance in Krishna consciousness, we are going to think that all of our motives are impure. <laughs> so, yes. So sometimes that is difficult. And as we are advancing in Krishna consciousness, we'll see that our motives are mixed. But at least we should be dovetailing. At least we should be trying to. It shouldn't be all selfish, at least. There should be some desire there to please Krishna and to become purified. And generally, if, if it's something that's all selfish, and we're, but we're trying to be Krishna conscious, those are often the things where Krishna will be pushing us in another direction. Those are almost always exactly the things where Krishna is giving us some indication that this is not very good for you. There was someone else that had something. Yes? Then it's a, then you see that Krishna is testing you, yes. You're not sure if you can overcome it or not. You can always try. You can try. I mean, like Prabhupada and Jansi, he tried. He did try. It wasn't that he immediately said, I can or I can't. He tried. Also, how much you try depends upon what is the gain. How much effort you're going to put into overcoming an obstacle depends... And and what this nice devotee said also. You know, to what extent is this going to further my my goal in Krishna consciousness? If it's for a very small gain, or if I I realize this is really just for my own personal gratification, it's very little benefit in Krishna consciousness, why try so hard? But if it's for a great mission, I mean, Prabhupada was really, he could understand that the gain would be very great. It was worth putting a lot of effort into trying to overcome the obstacle. And Prabhupada worked much harder to overcome the obstacles in Juhu than he did in Jansi. So, yes, how much effort we put into, over, into seeing whether or not it's possible depends on what is, the, what is the possibility of gain and also what you're bringing up, looking at our heart, seeing what our motives is. And I think we also should ask other people sometimes, you know, not just relying on my own introspection, but... Now, what do you think my motives are here? Do you think this is the right thing for me to be doing? Any other thoughts on this? Yes. Also, some people will say, go get the 
that is on rare occasions, that is the case. Um, if, you're, if the only way to preach is illegally, if you're in a Muslim country or a communist country where either you have to preach illegally or you can't preach, then that's true. Or if you're on the battlefield and Krishna's personally there and Krishna walks up to you and says, lie. Cut off Karna's head while he's fixing his chariot. But Krishna better be personally telling you that. Because generally speaking, the laws of morality were given by... Who gave the law? Where did the laws of morality come from? Where did they come from? Krishna. So who do they please? Krishna. So the point is, we're not following laws of morality and ethics because we want to be very moral, ethical people. So we can say, I'm a very moral and ethical person. We're following them to please Krishna. So if Krishna is pleased by doing something that's normally immoral, then we will do something that's normally immoral. So if Krishna is is actually in the forest playing his flute and calling you to dance with him, that's fine. Then you can leave your husband and go dance with him. How do you go? But, you know, otherwise, he says, no, go serve your husbands and live a moral life. Do you understand? So, you know, I mean, if it's actually Krishna standing there playing his flute, then fine. But otherwise, no. It's Krishna who's given the moral codes for society. So we follow the moral codes for society not to be moral people. We're not interested in being moral people. We're interested in pleasing Krishna. And being a moral, ethical person pleases Krishna. But, you know, the time will come when we're no longer bound by moral codes to please Krishna. That time will come if we follow the process and chant without offense. The spiritual world, they only have two rules. You know what the two rules are in the spiritual world? Two rules. One positive, one negative. That's a very good, everyone guesses that. Prema, you love Krishna and don't envy. That's all. The only rules. They don't have a police force. Oh, thank you. Of course, they have a sense of moral codes. You know, the gopis are afraid that when they're going to see Krishna, they'll get in trouble with their family. But it's not really a it's not really. That's just for Leela. You follow? So, unless you're in a very unusual circumstance. And Sanatana Goswami had to lie to the jailkeeper to get out of jail and go see Lord Chaitanya. Not as far as I know legally. No. Dharma, yes. Legally, no. Um, When he took Vanaprasti, he had one daughter yet unmarried. And he says that that is a debt that you cannot get out of to not get your daughter married. But what he said was, uh, he said, suppose I die 
then Krishna will take care. So let Krishna take care. She never got married. Never got married. And Prabhupada talks about some instances in the Bhagavatam where people who renounced their family life even before their children were situated. And there's several instances in the Bhagavatam where they took it as an emergency situation. But ordinarily, that is not done. Ordinarily, a person waits till their children are situated. But legally, I, I mean, there might be, but I don't. I've never heard of any. Prabhupada was was very careful to do things legally. Of course, he did uh, want devotees preaching like in communist countries or in Muslim countries where preaching would be illegal. And he was not opposed to devotees distributing books in places where book distribution was illegal. So in that sense, yes. I mean, Prabhupada wanted books distributed. And if book distribution or Harinam was illegal, it wasn't, he wouldn't say, well, don't do it if it's illegal. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu set that example. That if preaching is illegal, you challenge the legal system. But in, in general, Prabhupada wanted us, as far as possible, to do things legally. Okay, I want to, I have to, otherwise I won't get done. Okay, last thing here that we're going to go over is how was Srila, what was Srila, what did Srila Prabhupada do in his preaching that was really unique? And that's going to be somewhat related to the obstacles that he overcame. Okay, and I'll, I'll, I'll start with a few things that he was working in many different cultures. And what he did was, in all these different cultures, he was able to transplant the essence But somehow or other, he was able to get the essence of Krishna consciousness and put it in all different cultures of the world. He knew what to transplant and what not to transplant. So that people in America, in China, in Russia, in Peru, could all take up Krishna consciousness. I mean, that to me is just unbelievable. And a few years ago, I was in Vrindavan, was buying some things for the deities, and there were devotees there buying other things, and I, they're all talking, you know, 60 different languages. And I just kind of stopped for a minute, and I thought, how did Prabhupada do that? And the cultures are different. I mean, they're different. We might think we all have the same culture because we say Pam Ho Agusp, you know, and you didn't get that, huh? None of you write Pam Ho Agusp for please accept my humble obeisances, all glories to Srila Prabhupada. You don't write that, huh? So we might think we all have the same culture because we share some things in common, but we don't. If you travel around the world, you see Devotees from different countries, they have very different cultures. But yet, we've all been able to take up the essence of Krishna consciousness. How did he do that? Amazing. Another thing which I found really amazing is that he was able to elevate so many, and some of you brought this up in the obstacles, uncultured, 
low-class people. I mean, we, we read about in the scriptures, you know, Haridas Thakur elevated one prostitute. Nityananda saved, you know, Jughai and Mudai. I mean, you've got like, you know, Narada Muni saved one hunter, right? One, two, here and there, one, two, three, few. We're talking about thousands. Thousands. How did he do that? I have no idea. I mean, that, that is unprecedented. It is absolutely unprecedented. There's nothing. I mean, can you think of any story in any of the scriptures? We can think of stories of, you know, one. And it's amazing. You know, one hunter, one prostitute, one drunkard becomes a devotee. And everyone's amazed. Wow. One low-class person becomes a devotee. <gasps> Let's go see them. Papa did it with thousands all over the world. How did he do that? I don't know. I, there's, there's just no other history like that. I mean, you'll find history, you know, Narada Muni preaches to 10,000 sons of Daksha at one time. But they were all sons of Daksha. They weren't all, you know, at the Mantra Love Rock Dance in San Francisco. So, I mean, these two things to me stand out as just beyond comprehension. And we, we simply have nothing at all in history over millions and billions of years of history of anybody being empowered to do this. At all. Another thing that he did was he did some standardization and that's an that's an S for those of you who are British. Just it, it is an S, just pretend it's an S, okay? Uh, I'll okay, I'll explain. Thank you for asking. Uh, when you, you make it into a, a certain routine. So generally in Vaishnav history, I mean in temple worship, there's a certain routine. You offer the deity at a certain time. But generally in the history of the Vaishnavas, each Vaishnava has a certain program of hearing and chanting. Like say Bhaktivinoda Thakur would get up at midnight and he would, we know he would write his books and then he would have his job. Each Vaishnava has their own program. But Prabhupada made a standard program for all of his disciples, didn't he? Here's a standard morning program that I want all of my disciples to follow. Is that interesting? Why do you think he did that? Interesting. Yeah, every devotee feels at home. It's part of making a worldwide society, isn't it? It's part of uniting different cultures. It's also because he's not dealing with people who were all raised in a certain way. And we find that sometimes other people from the Gaudiya Math who tried to preach worldwide, 
who don't do that kind of thing, they end up having a lot of trouble keeping people at a high standard. When they say to people, okay, you can become my disciple and just chant however many rounds you want and follow whatever program you want, they end up not having a high standard of followers. You understand what I'm saying? And Prabhupada understood that. He understood that I'm making disciples and followers from people of all different backgrounds, coming from all different places and all different cultures. I need to set a baseline program. Everybody has to do this. I mean, other people didn't have at initiation that you get up and say, I vow to chant 16 rounds, follow the... You just simply said, I'm being your disciple. Why did Prabhupada do that? He wanted it very clear. This is the bottom line. I mean, he made it very basic. And he brought it to five very, very basic, basic, basic rules. And then he gave us a standard program. Okay, everyone should attend Mangal Artik and Bhagavatam class and like this. As I said, these things that were always went on in temples. But it wasn't that, okay, everyone had to follow exactly this program for their own sadhana. And Prabhupada said, I expect all my initiated disciples to follow this, this, this same kind of program. He was making a standard. If you study about organizational theory, you know, how do you standardize things? You can standardize the output, the process, or the training. And Prabhupada standardized the training. And this was one way that he was forming a worldwide institution. It, w- it was a stroke of genius. Absolutely a stroke of genius. Which we see that other people who tried to spread Krishna consciousness all over the world have not been able to do. They just like haven't picked up on it. Another thing that he did, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing this myself because I'm running out of time. Because we ended up talking about that other thing which I think is important. But another thing that he did was that he taught us everything. He gave us the highest knowledge. At the same time, he concentrated on basics. Right? He knew what mix to give us. We have the gulabjaman, but our main diet is rice and dal <laughs> and dupatis, right? Our main diet is not gulabjaman. <laughs> You you all understand what I'm talking about? So we have the highest knowledge. We have the highest with emphasis on basics. And there there were certain basics that Srila Prabhupada emphasized over and over and over again, such as For all the principles, you're not this body, devotion to guru. I mean, there were certain things that Srila Prabhupada, you'll find certain themes of preaching that he just emphasized over and over and over and over again. He knew, again, preaching internationally, what needed to be emphasized to an international audience. And again, we find that other preachers, they don't understand this. They don't, somehow they don't pick this up. How to have the right mix of ingredients when you're preaching all over the world. I, what I would 
request all of you to do is think of other ways in which Srila Prabhupada's own contribution, just on your own. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to be collecting homework or grading you or anything of that kind, but for your own edification to take some time between now and when we get together tomorrow, five or ten minutes, and think of some other things that you could add to this list of what was really unique. How is Srila Prabhupada really uniquely empowered in his ability to spread Krishna consciousness all over the world? How did he do what he did? What was really, really special about Srila Prabhupada? I mean, you could write many things that were special, that were there, that's there in everybody, every great devotee of the Lord, but try to think of things about him that were there that we don't find elsewhere. And I do have to end now uh, for my own sake because I have to talk again in 10 minutes and I need a break. (laughs) So I'd like to thank you all very, very much. And again, if you want to look at the list there, what we'll be covering on the other days, then you're welcome to do so. Thank you. All glories to